This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out bluewirepods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. Yo, this is Flip Gordon. CVB Chris Van Fleet. This is Liam O'Rourke, author of Crazy Like a Fox. Hey, this is your Olympic hero, Kurt Angle, and you're listening to Top Rope Nation. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I finished these fights. Give me a hell yeah. Top Rope Nation. Learn to love it. It's the best thing going today. What's going on, everyone? My name is Ryan Drosty, and this is Top Rope Nation, your source for the best in weekly pro wrestling talk. This is episode 137 of this program, and to date, it is perhaps our biggest episode yet, as we will be joined by the legendary Jim Ross later in this broadcast. Because of that, going to assume we've got many new listeners tuning in for the very first time. So with that, we say welcome, and I'd like to introduce you to my co-hosts who join me on the program each and every week. First of all, out in Cleveland, Ohio, we have the unofficial winner of the 2019 Brawl for All tournament, Mr. Kyle Ross. Kyle, what's going on? I'll never take a dive for anybody. <laughs> going for that repeat in 2020 here? I've been working out. <laughs> Love it. And across town from me here in the great state of Iowa, we have the biggest Tottenham Hotspurs fan this side of the Atlantic Ocean, Mr. Justin Joint. Justin, what's going on? Oh, now I miss sports. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we still have pro wrestling in, in some way or fashion, and uh, it's keeping us entertained while we are all quarantined at home. Most of the time, anyways. Uh, we'll get into that here in, in a little bit. But like I said, due to this interview we have with uh, JR later in the show, there's probably quite a few listeners listening tonight for the very first time. If you like what you hear, we hope you will return next week, as we also have another big guest lined up for that program, which is going to be kind of tied in with the Brawl for All mention I had when I introduced Kyle here a second ago. So we'll get to that uh, later in the broadcast. I'll, I'll announce that one. But in the meantime, if you want to join us next week and each and every week moving forward, we would love it if you would hit that subscribe button wherever you are getting your podcast from, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Play, pretty much wherever podcasts are found. Hit subscribe. Leave us a rating when you're done listening to this broadcast. That five-star rating, we would greatly appreciate it. Leave us a written review. We'll read it on the air next week and send you a free Top Rope Nation sticker in the mail. And guys, these are not cheap Top Rope Nation stickers. These are the real deal. They are the die-cut thick stickers. We're, we're going all out for you. So leave us that written review. We'll send that to you in the mail. And uh, I do want to mention we are, of course, part of the Blue Wire podcasting family. If you like podcasts and sports, Blue Wire has the podcast for you. Don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, like I said, and check out the whole lineup at BlueWirePods.com. And special thanks goes out to our partners over at Bet Online. So we know a lot of you are tuning in. Pretty much for this Jim Ross interview. That's what everyone wants to hear. But we did want to take a chance with having so many new listeners tuning in this week to give you a little bit of the flavor of how these broadcasts go for us each and every week. So we usually start off just, you know, talking, catch up, myself, Kyle, and Justin. 
Then we hit in the news. Then we go to a feature segment, which is going to be the interview this week. And we close it all up with the Kyle Ross deep dive of the week, which is always a highlight. So make sure you stay tuned in for that. But before we get to Mr. Ross, guys, I think it is time for in the news. All the latest wrestling news. Get behind the scenes inside a rental. One nine hundred nine oh nine ninety nine hundred. Calls cost the buck forty nine per minute. Kids, get your parents' permission, but call right now. All right, so we're going to keep this brief this week. But in the news, uh, our big topic that we wanted to talk about is the fact that we've got this new kind of cinematic feel to pro wrestling. All right, so we had at WrestleMania, of course, the Boneyard match. We had the Firefly Funhouse. It kind of brought that cinematic feel that we saw from Matt Hardy in the past, what we saw from Lucha Underground in the past. And with that, WWE NXT presented what is supposed to be the final chapter in the feud between Johnny Gargano and Tomasa Ciampa this week. It took up the entire second hour of the NXT broadcast on Wednesday night. And uh, Kyle, what'd you think of this match? It's horrible. <laughs> I would if agree. I see a wor- if I see a worse professional wrestling match in the year 2020, God help us all. I, I really think it was that bad, and I, we'll get into some particulars in a moment after we go around the horn, but the fact that the same pairing who produced what many felt was the 2018 match of the year, I was there in the building, I called it one of the greatest matches I've ever seen live uh, in New Orleans at that takeover, could produce potentially the worst match of the year two years later, a metaphor for all we have been saying about the NXT brand on this program for the last several months. And really going back probably a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot wrong with NXT right now. And uh, certainly we could place the blame in several different areas, but I do think that this match laid out exactly what is wrong with NXT an hour for a television match is just that's the biggest thing. It was way, way too long. And then something people always talk about with WWE is the camera cuts, right? Like they're constantly like Sean Ross Sapp from Fightful. He's really good about this. Sometimes on Twitter, he will actually like count the amount of camera cuts in like a minute or something and put it out on his feed. There were so many camera cuts in this match when they were zoomed in close. It was like I was texting you guys. It was making me dizzy watching it. I mean, I know they had all those cameras there. It was a tape show, obviously. And whoever put this together worked incredibly hard at it. But I got to tell you, it was poorly, poorly done. It was it was a real tough watch uh, for me. Justin Joint, uh, what do you have to say about this match? Um, Well, I actually I didn't tell you guys this, uh, but Actually, I, I should say uh, during the interview that uh, our listeners will hear uh, next week. Actually, before I say that, the, the new listeners should know uh, Ryan and Kyle. They are uh, incredibly smart and thoughtful uh, and professional wrestling podcasters. I am not. Uh, during uh, the interview we did uh, this week, which will air next week, I, I was kind of watching a wrestling match in the background. Um, and it, and it happened to be this one. Um, I, I didn't pay close attention because there was a kind of, kind of a lot of backstage stuff going on during our interview. Um, you know, and I thought it looked interesting and I figured I'd go back and watch all of it, but I, I read a couple recaps and hearing what you guys kind of had to say about it briefly. Uh, I think that's going to be the extent of my relationship with it. I, you know, the Boneyard match and the Firefly Funhouse match, I think, were exactly what they needed to be. Um, I think they were both pretty self-aware. They took advantage of the performers in it, and they just yeah played they just, to their strengths exactly. Played. Thank you. And and this this match, and for one, I get why they're doing it. You know, for the same reason that it has to be in a you know in an empty arena uh, because of the pandemic. That's the same reason why this thing is going so long, just so they can get it on TV and fill up as much time as possible. Um, but it's just it's it's kind of everything that's been 
wrong with NXT for the past year at its most gluttonous. It's just too much. And I, I just don't think it was inventive enough. Yeah, I think we all admitted, you know, in our WrestleMania post show that this this style can work. You know, obviously Lucha, Lucha Underground, they succeeded at this for a long, long time. And I think both WrestleMania matches in their own way succeeded at it. And so, I mean, it was a novel attempt to try to do it again. And there is some creativity with it, like the way it's shot and stuff. It's different. But yeah, this it just did not work at all. Like, I just I really can't imagine anyone thinking that that was great stuff even the ending i just thought was <laughs> pretty poorly done <laughs> just, the you know candace LeRae screaming <laughs> i hate my husband are you happy i i was just cringeworthy kyle yeah, we've all been there <laughs> kyle give us your give us your thoughts now all right well i got a bit of a rant i mean a match like this deserves a long rant now so i see why we would compare it to the other cinematic offerings from WrestleMania weekend makes sense. I mean, this was done in a cinematic sense, but I think the match this should be compared to, and I've seen this comparison on Twitter and various other places online numerous times, numerous people have said it is the edge Randy Orton last man standing match. We talked about that on our WrestleMania recap show. The general consensus seems to be. It was a really boring, bad last man standing match. I was pretty critical of it. I know Edge has gotten very upset at some of the criticism, whatever. I loved Edge's documentary, and that made it even harder for me to say that. But the match Wednesday night between Gargano and Ciampa, and I, I can't believe there's a bit debate on this. Because I've seen some people say, oh, it was better than Edge Jordan. I think it was much worse. Because both were long, boring brawls. So it's, you know, six to one, half a dozen to the other in that regard. But Ciampa-Gargano was a long, boring brawl compounded by bad booking and the poor production that you talked about, Ryan. I think that was really critical. The, the camera cuts, it was like on steroids from what we get on <laughs> an yes. average, on your average Monday Night Raw. Our text thread this morning that we had, Justin asked, you know, when I started going off, oh my God, have you seen this thing? It was just so bad. Justin's like, well, was it just the ending that was bad or was it the match itself? And I think that's a very good question for someone who has not seen the match but knows what happened here. The finish, spoiler alert, with Candice LeRae turning heel, was unspeakably bad and the worst part of the whole ordeal. Mm -hmm. uh, but here's the thing for me, and longtime listeners of this show are going to know where I'm going here. This match was behind the eight ball, I think, from the start. Johnny Gargano should not be a heel. I've been very adamant about this, going back to the fall heel turn, in the fall of 2018. I love Johnny Gargano. He's a great baby face, but he's not a good heel. He just isn't. So coming in, I wasn't looking forward to this match. That's really critical for me personally. Uh, I've been very disengaged from the Johnny Gargano character for a while now. And then you have the fact the match was overproduced. Uh, the dialogue during this. Holy Lord, have mercy. So there was a review of this match, and I, I love reading different points of view online. I'm somebody, I just, I love to engulf myself in opinion online on things. I don't, I'm not someone who wants to necessarily be married to my own opinion. I like reading people, other people's takes. There was a review of the match that I want to put over because it was as good of a review of a wrestling match as I've ever read. I'm going to hopefully I don't butcher the guy's name, Joseph Monticillo. You can find his review on Twitter, at Joseph Weirdness. He apparently does a lot of reviews. Hmm. Um, this he really he hated this match even more than I did. He called it like the worst match he'd ever seen. Um, but the bet I encourage everyone to it's one of the first things on his Twitter feed and people are retweeting and saying they liked it. So it'll be easy to find if you go to Joseph Weirdness. But my favorite part of the review is when he compared Gargano and Ciampa's in-match dialogue to a rapper stopping after every line to shout their genius lyric annotations at you. <laughs> it was like they were explaining everything. It's like, like Ciampa was, he was like, oh, I came back from that ACL injury for you. And it was mm -hmm. like, Oh my God. <laughs> and then, you know, you mentioned it with the, I hate my husband. Um, look, the hand on hand thing may have been an all time low. Yeah. Towards that, that was real bad. Mm -hmm. 
Um, Justin, and I'm glad he brought it up again because on Sunday he very astutely said that a big reason the Boneyard match worked was because it was self-aware. And this, Gargano Ciampa, was the exact opposite of self-aware. I want to make a reference. Hopefully you guys get it. I guess I'll, you know. (laughs) <laughs> become a hypocrite by explaining my reference right after, if you don't get it. But this was the room of professional wrestling match. <laughs> I get it. Yes. You know, if anyone's not familiar, there's like this, it became like a cult class. Yeah. What was the movie they made about the movie, The Room? I can't remember. It was from a few The years Disaster back. Artist. Thank you, yeah. Justin. The Disaster Artist. So there's this movie, The Room, where the guy who made it thought it was like this unbelievable epic, but it's one of the worst movies ever made. And that's what this was. This was the room of professional wrestling. Um, And I want to be clear about something because, you know, we saw wrestlers sometimes get sensitive. And I probably would, too, if I heard, you know, me. I have never won a brawl for all, by the way. Just (laughs) if you're a new listener, I'm not particularly well in shape. It was a timely reference. (laughs) Yes. So if they hear dark side of the ring. Yeah. Some jerk off like me going off like this. You know, you have every reason to be upset at me. But I want to be clear about something here. Edge. Randy Orton. Johnny Gargano, Tomasa Ciampa. Maybe you got a favorite among the four, whatever. All four are very good professional wrestlers. They really are. But those who put together these matches, they didn't just fail the audience. They failed these four performers this week. I don't necessarily put the failure of this match on the performers themselves. When you have the ability to edit like WWE does, these finished products should not have been what they were. Yes. That hit the, well and said. again, you know, I'm just, I'm going to say it again. I cannot believe we're here in 2020 talking about Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa likely having the worst match of the year. <laughs> Two years removed. Almost, <laughs> Almost exactly to the day. Yeah. Yeah. From having the best match I've ever seen live. So I've got nothing against these guys. No, you, like we've gushed about them in the past. Yeah. yeah. It, it, the storytelling that has taken place in this thing has just been so bad for so long. I almost think that this was an appropriate end of the feud. <laughs> because well, it certainly felt like a kick to the nuts, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah I mean, there you go. I love how low blows, by the way. You know, we saw that in the Ciampa uh, Adam Cole match, too, right? These guys hit each other with every, everything but the kitchen sink, and then a low blow. Basically, you know, leads to the end of the match. I know mm. uh, it wasn't the, didn't directly lead to the finish, but it basically did. It turned the match, and went they went to the, they went home right after that. Um, I just when we talk about the stuff that is ailing NXT, the self indulgence and how their idea of having a better match is okay. Last takeover, we had a match that went thirty minutes, so this it, it's got to go thirty five this time. Oh, they kicked out of, you know, five finishers last time. Well, it's got to be six this time. That's not necessarily how you construct a better match. <laughs> no. It just becomes completely self-indulgent. And I don't know, man. This To me, this brand peaked two years ago. And I said it on a review of that New Orleans takeover, which was the best top-to-bottom show I've ever attended live. I said, you know, man, it, the one thing I got to say is it's odd Johnny Gargano needs to be the champion of this brand. It, it just makes so much sense. And people are ready to walk through a wall for this guy, but they just crown another babyface champion. And to be honest with you, it's been all downhill. The, the, the continuation of the Gargano Ciampa feud was not good even in 2018. Um, I just, I liked the idea of them event reuniting. We didn't need this switching of roles. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, here we are. And what do you do when you're NXT? I mean, who are your baby faces that are now going to, like, contend for the champ? I mean, you got Velveteen Dream is up next. Mm. But, like, after that, what you got? I mean, what, is Ciampa going to get a shot after this? And is he, I mean, and this was billed as, you know, what, what the, the final beat. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the, the, these two aren't going to work against each other. I just... I don't know, man. NXT, mm, I don't want to name names, but there are people down there, you know, that get a lot of criticism for the way they agent the matches. 
And we don't know who agents what matches. So I'm not going to directly criticize anybody. But, man, it seems like the arrival of a certain somebody on that brand has not made it better. It sure does. No well, argument so, for me. Yeah, go ahead, Justin. You know, it's so weird even just like kayfabe thinking about that match was like Gargano's plan was to wrestle up, you know, to an hour before having his wife come out to help him get the win. That just seems really weird. I mean, that finish alone calls for like a 20 minute match. <laughs> and, no, and yeah, no kidding. Walk in. How did she know when to walk in? Like she just sort of randomly walked in. I mean, was she, you know. Was she peeking from behind the door? So weird because so she gives she gave him I guess the cup as he left the uh, the car right when she dropped him off. So like here's the cup. I'll be in in an hour to (laughs) low blow you. (laughs) Like what the hell? Like you said, it should should have happened in twenty minutes. So yeah, just doesn't really make sense. It was so bad. I mean, you know, it's I talk about Gargano, this likable guy, and you know. If you have a top baby face, man, I mean, that's the hardest thing to do is to be a top baby face in pro wrestling. Mm -hmm. Everyone wants to go heel because it's easier. But being a top baby face is hard, man. And when you've got one, you need to bleed that guy or girl dry for everything he's worth, everything he or she's worth. And they didn't even like Gargano. He's like at his peak and they like did this fall heel turn and he's just toiled and like. I don't know. His character's just gotten progressively worse. I don't yeah, that Turning that. him was one of the worst moves NXT has ever had creatively, I think. It was then, fell so flat. The doubling down. Candace LeRae. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if anyone screams heel, it's Candace LeRae, right? <laughs> Jeez, yeah. Come on. Yeah, I mean, and Kyrie Sane. This is a company that has her as a heel. Yeah. Bailey. Dakota Kai. <laughs> Somebody jokes. The reason that NXT can't book a baby faces because Triple H made a career of burying baby faces. <laughs> oh, yeah. So as you can all tell, we were not fans of this. We've gushed about these guys in the past. Go back in our archives. You can listen to the to the New Orleans review. You'll hear it. But man, we have been kind of trending downward with NXT for about a, almost a year now. And I think a lot of the issues that people have had with NXT in the last couple of months. I think, you know, we were talking about this stuff last summer, some of these issues that are they're plaguing NXT, and I think the greater masses are, are starting to agree with what we were saying way back then. So, um, yeah, I mean, we shall see. Apparently, WWE is taping multiple, like up to three weeks of television this week at the Performance Center. I thought Florida had the stay-at-home order. I'm not quite sure how they're yeah. getting around this, but <laughs> I don't know, I don't know what's going know. on down there in Orlando. Running, running a wild goose chase with the police. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, uh, Kyle, you liked raw this week. You said, yeah, I did. And you know, for the record too, I liked the women's ladder match that came first on the NXT show too. I thought that was good. Although I I feel, and Meltzer brought this up, eh, you know, just like with the cinematic matches, it felt like there were too many ladder matches Mm -hmm. this weekend. It it felt like we'd seen a few too many, but I thought it was good. I I thought, uh, to be honest, there was... AEW had a great women's match too with uh, Sheeta and Britt, but yeah, Raw was good. So let's be fair. Let's be a little positive, right? Okay, yeah. you know, people, you know, we don't want to be one of those negative podcasts, do we? Now, um, for the record, we were once accused of being too positive towards WWE. <laughs> That's true. Yes, I'll never forget that criticism. <laughs> um, so yeah, I thought Raw was good this week. It wasn't a home run, earth shattering show, but what I liked about it was is you saw some folks. Uh, like the Ricochet, Cedric Alexander team, uh, Apollo Crews, even though we lost. Guys getting some time to get over. And they also did a great job recapping the events of WrestleMania, making those feel like a big deal. And then we got the Drew Big Show t- surprise title match. Um, I thought that was good. So, yeah, I thought Raw was quite good this week. Um, and Raw, to be fair, is you of, of the two... Um, main roster. I know maybe we're not supposed to use that term, but I don't know what else to use. Um, between Raw and SmackDown, Raw is usually better anyway. But uh, yeah, I thought it was a good show this week. Yeah. Did uh, Did either of you think it was possible that Big Show was going to win that title? Oh, God. I didn't think so, but <laughs> I was a little nervous at times. I kind of did because I'm like, what if they just, if this is like a to get people talking thing? Mm-hmm. 
You know, that's always why. I, I just, in the back of my mind, I'm like, yeah. You know, if you would have asked me to put a percent on it, if you would have texted me when the match started, put a percent on the big show winning here, 10, 15 maybe? You know, the other part of that was like, in the back of my head, mind was, oh, shit, he's got a Netflix show coming out this week. Yes. Yeah. Which yes. I heard they do well. I heard it's like the number three most watched show on Netflix. Wow. But yeah, I mean, that's the funny thing about that moment. Um, cause I, I think I might've gotten a little anxiety during that match. Like, Oh, there's no way they're going to actually do this just because of their history of kind of questionable booking. It's like, this actually feels like something they would do and make this title switch, but thank God they didn't, but it made for an, uh, an emotional moment. Yes. Yeah. It was I the one when they were talking about the shocking things that happened after WrestleMania involving the champion, was I the only one who was thinking of Sergeant Slaughter throwing the fireball at Hulk Hogan after WrestleMania seven? <laughs> I mean, I thought of Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania nine when the big show came out, you know, like hopefully this is not what happens here, but it was, uh, I guess technically that was, would you consider that the main event of WrestleMania now? It was the last, I guess it's technically part of the WrestleMania card. That was kind of, I don't yeah, know. I guess someone had to go back and edit that Wikipedia page. I think somebody did actually. Somebody said that <laughs> that they had edited the Wikipedia page. Yeah. So, and then lastly, we got AEW, and AEW uh, looks like their next pay per view in in uh, Las Vegas, Double or Nothing, probably not going to happen due to the the pandemic that's going on right now. They haven't officially announced anything. Um, I know that Ring of Honor has canceled all of their shows through the end of May and that there was some news out of Nevada. Was a Twitter account, Kyle, that had said something yeah. about yeah, MGM, MGM properties? said they're not running anything through May. They're yeah. closed through May. So that includes d- Double or Nothing, which is happening May 23rd. Yeah. So... <laughs> A lot of a lot of a lot of changes going on in the wrestling industry right now. A lot of uncertainty, and uh, you know, due to that, when we've been putting together these shows each and every week, it's been a little bit difficult to get to our our main topic. So usually, like I said, we have our in the news segment, like we were just doing right now. Then we go to a main topic. We've been doing a lot of like Mount Rushmore list debates, historical topics, and so this week we've got this interview with Jim Ross, and next week. We'll have another interview next week. We will have uh, PCO, the former Ring of Honor world champion, joining us on the broadcast. Former three-time WWE tag team champion as uh, Quebecer Pierre. We recorded that one actually last night, and it was a really good interview. 88 minutes with PCO. So you guys can check out that next week on the program. Uh, This week, though, this is what everyone is tuning in for. We've got... The legendary Jim Ross joining Top Rope Nation for the very first time. Of course, for all of us, Jim Ross is kind of like the soundtrack to our our childhoods and, and growing up as wrestling fans. He's now the voice of AEW. So we're really excited we could get him on the program. And so coming up, we've got this exclusive interview with Jim Ross. Before we get to that, though, I do want to shout out our sponsors at Bet Online. So with currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on, and you would be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, to join today. Receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. And with that, Kyle, it was myself and you that had the chance to sit down with Jim Ross. We're going to take you to that interview right now. the most famous and in our opinions the greatest wrestling announcer of all time mr jim ross jr welcome to top rope nation thank you sir good, good to be with you guys 
Absolutely. Super pumped about this. We've been anticipating this all week. We brought you on the program today to talk about your recently released book, Under the Black Hat. Uh, I got an advanced copy of that, just finished it. It's an awesome read. It's the second book in a two-part biography series that you wrote. Uh, My Life in Wrestling was released about two and a half years ago covers the early part of your career. This book begins just prior to your return to announcing at WrestleMania 15. I wanted to ask you, what was the process for writing this book as far as did you start writing it at the same time as the previous book? Did you take some time off in between writing them? No, I, I took some time off. Uh, I was finishing the, the Slobberknocker, for the first part of the autobiography, uh, when my wife got killed in March of 17. So we we completed our uh, the first book, and then, uh, you know, there was just so much chronologically that I didn't cover in the in the in the Slavernarker book uh, because I I wanted to write it chronologically. So I thought, well, there's the story's untold, and we've got a lot of very compelling topics that we can discuss in this book if we uh, you know strategize correctly. So uh, this was an untold story. I felt like. You know, uh, I, I owed it to my late wife to be able to tell our story, she, her story and mine, and and the role she played in my in my career in WWE for sure. So uh, it, this is an untold story. I wanted to finish it out, and I kind of call it the last public hug for my late wife because she's a very, as you re- read, Ryan, she's a very prominent part of this book. Uh, I even had a buddy of mine who I sent a, a book to, and he was on the road back before this virus stuff. He probably got the same kind of copy you got. He made, you know, the the advanced copy thing. But anyway, uh, he said he got home and his wife was reading it, and she wouldn't give it to him because she wanted to finish it. And she, when she finished it, she said, "That's one of the nicest love stories I've ever read." And I never envisioned that I was writing a love story, but uh, when I look back on it from others' perspective, I can see how that uh, description could be easily made. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the book is very focused on relationships. Like you said, with your wife, I think the love that you two had for each other just really jumps off the pages. That's kind of a theme throughout and her support for you at different uh, hard times throughout your career. And then also, you know, your relationship with Vince McMahon is uh, what really takes over, I think, for fans that have read this kind of the behind the scenes, what was going on uh, during different moments of your career. Yeah, it's a you know, I think everybody expected me to write some sort of hatchet job uh, on, you know, to take the low road, as so many people do, to get quote-unquote clicks, et cetera, et cetera. And I just, I had no desire to write that. You know, Vince and I had a very unique relationship for over a quarter of a century. And uh, I was just either number one or number two for many of those years. And, uh, and so I wanted to explain that because I think it's been misunderstood a great deal. Just because people disagree philosophically doesn't mean they have to become mortal enemies. And we see that on on social media a lot where somebody makes an opinion, an opinion, which everybody has a right to do, to express an opinion. And then others that don't agree with it take personal assaults that, oh, that's stupid. How can you think that? Blah, blah, blah. So uh, I just didn't want to write a a hatchet job book, but it is the most, I think, the most unique uh, story involving Vince that has ever been written because I had a, unlike so many others, because of my role, not just because of JR, because of my role there, I think that uh, my relationship with him was unlike anybody else's simply because I was, you know, I was an administration. I was the voice of the brand. I was the host of Monday Night Raw, pay-per-views, all these things. So there's a lot of great stuff to talk about, but people can understand uh, Vince a little bit better, I think, uh, by reading this book, if that's one of your goals. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Jim, one of your roles, talent relations, you mentioned the book, Brock Lesnar being one of your all-time greatest signings. Uh, maybe a couple other names. Who would you consider uh, being proud of bringing the WWE in addition to Brock? Who are some of your other favorite signings? Well, I think you start with Dwayne Johnson. Uh, <laughs> he, he's, been, he's been pretty good in life. <laughs> he's <Yeah. doing> <laughs> Uh, so many guys, you know, John Cena, uh, Dave Batista, Randy Orton, Edge and Christian, Kurt Angle, uh, a lot of cats, a lot of men and women, Trish Stratus. 
so I had the privilege of being able to facilitate an opportunity. You know, Dusty Rose told me one time a long time ago, I was, I was kind of angry about whatever it was, you know, some egocentric thing probably. And, and he said, well, remember, if you turn your jersey in, you can't play on the team anymore. And I've always felt like uh, it was important for me to stay in the game. And that's kind of one of the reasons I left WWE is I wanted to stay in the game in a more prominent role. But uh, I got you know great stuff on our relationship with Stone Cold, uh, and and all in talking about thoroughly about WrestleMania 19, his last match, uh, the Vince stuff we talked about, you know how we were, how we had to, I had to sell hiring Chris Jericho, uh, the the challenges of hiring uh, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko, and Perry Saturn, a lot of things that people will relate to. Of course, the Monday Night Wars, the XFL the company going public, uh, another couple of bouts of Bell's palsy for me, uh, you know, being replaced a couple of times. It's just part of the journey, man. It's just part of the journey. And looking at today's world we live in, my issues, or I'll put it in italics, my quote-unquote issues seem so pale by comparison to what we're all living through today, which is so much more important than, than us that. But I think my book is a great relief. You know, uh, it, the timing of this virus is not good for any of us. You know, I did not expect the bookstores to be closed when my book came out. That was not what we planned. Yeah. But the good news is that because we're living in this day and age, you know, you can get my book delivered to your to your house and never, and all you got to do is open your front door and pick it up because we can deliver it to you in a variety of ways. So for that, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful. But the book's doing great. It's uh, It was the number one selling sports biography on Amazon in our category, uh, in the, after the third day. So it's, it's selling, it's doing well. And on my little website at jrsbbq.com, you can get not only our barbecue sauces and all the condiments, but a signed copy, personalized autograph to you that if you live in the lower 48, uh, we will pay the freight on. So jrsbbq.com, of course, Amazon, Walmart.com, all these things, uh, are, uh, or ways to get the book. You know, Target.com's got it. That's my uh, phone ringing, but I don't ever answer it because it's my home line. We all know it's called your home line. <laughs> yes. The listeners. Yeah. And they say if you answer the phone, they know it's a it's a it's a hot number. It's a it's a real number. So uh, we'll get through. They'll, they'll stop here in a second, and, and we'll just we we'll just continue to move on. But that's I apologize for that. But that's that's, no the, that's the deal. <laughs> no problem at all. Yeah, like you mentioned, I, I read mine on my Kindle. You guys can jump on Amazon, get it delivered in minutes, or take Jar up on an offer for the autographed copy, which is a heck of a deal. Uh, but it is it is a real page turner. I it took me just a couple days to read this book. It's over three hundred pages, and uh, it's a it's a fast read. It's uh, I I would say personally, this one ranks up there right alongside you know the Bret Hart, the Chris Jericho, the Mick Foley books. This is an excellent excellent biography that you wrote, Jim. And one of the parts that I found really interesting was something that wrestling fans will often debate. We've talked about it in our program before. And that was that move to for Steve Austin to turn heel at WrestleMania 17. And you recount in the book this backstage conversation you had with Steve, you know, kind of trying to talk him out of it. But his mind was set. He wanted to, he wanted to try the heel run. He thought he was running out of steam. You didn't think so. Looking back now, I think obviously most people would say it was probably a mistake. Um, is there any way at all, in your opinion, that Austin's heel turn could have worked out better? Uh, and do you see that moment as kind of the end of the Attitude Era? Hmm, interesting question. Uh, I don't know that uh, that Steve turning heel would ever have worked at, the, at, at that point in time because he was over so dominantly. And I always, I told him, I think I wrote in the book, you know, maybe, uh, you know, it'd be like John Ford, the great director, casting John Wayne to be a Nazi. It yeah. would not have worked. Yeah. It would not even been tried. And for us to think that we could turn him healed thanks to his relationship with Mr. McMahon, we got to remember where it happened. It happened in Austin's home state. It happened in Houston and uh, at WrestleMania 17. So it was a, the audience, he, he could do no wrong. Steve could do no wrong. And if you listen, you go back and watch that on the WWE Network or wherever, uh, you'll see that the ovation that Austin got coming out was nothing short of extraordinary. Yeah. So mm-hmm. this, I just never heard. I just don't think it would have ever worked because he was he was that great of a babyface. Stone Cold Steve Austin was a folk hero. 
He was a hero to many working blue collar people. I just never saw it working very well. I don't know if it was the end of the attitude error or not, but it was certainly on the backside of it, one would think, because Austin was our leader. He was leading, he was pulling the wagon. And then, of course, we were lucky enough to recruit Rock, as I said. And then Rock was there. He was 1A. So when Steve got hurt, you know, we were very, very fortunate in WWE that we had signed Dwayne. And then Dwayne was ready, prepared, and able to take over the Austin role. So it was a, it was a, I don't know the answer to that, uh, Ryan. I think maybe it was actually toward that, that, that point in time, but to say conclusively it was the end of the Attitude Era, I don't know that I can say that. But damn sure it was close. Uh, Jim, earlier you mentioned you know the up and down relationship with Vince McMahon uh, being covered in depth in the book, uh, the way the unique way you look at it. With you now working for the competition AEW, what is the status of your relationship with Vince McMahon now? And when did you last speak to him? Well, we we talked, you know, we we talk here with the holidays, you know. Uh, this busy guy and, and I, and I'm busy, busy man as well. So just sitting and having a casual chat, quite frankly, uh, in our worlds, this in mine, it's not really realistic, mm-hmm. uh, but we're nonetheless, uh, we text, uh, you know, we, I, I congratulated him on how, uh, how successful that they made WrestleMania in a very, uh, with a, dealt a very bad hand. So I'd say our relationship is casually friendly at best. I mean, at worst, I mean, uh, he's a, if I needed something, I know that I could call Vince and, and, and uh, request, discuss and, and be, I think, accommodated. And he knows I'm the same way. That doesn't mean we're going to, I'm going to work with him. I got a great job and I'm, I got, I just started my second year of a three-year contract about a week ago here with AEW. So I made the right move, uh, but I don't have any animosity, uh, toward Vince. I mean, he, he, he helped Jan and I make a, a great living of which we've solidified our future. Uh, so I, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be disrespectful in that respect. It's just a fact. I tell guys, this is a lot of sports radio guys. It basically comes down to something like this. I wanted to run the wishbone and the boss, the head coach wanted to run the spread offense. So we ran the spread offense. And sometimes my reaction to, uh, not having my way, not getting my idea through, whatever it may be. Uh, I didn't handle well. That's my fault. That's on me. Uh, didn't handle the stress well. I reacted negatively to a lot of things. So I was a handful to manage at times, but I never looked up. I never had a chance to stop and smell the roses, so to speak. But uh, that's not Vince's fault. Uh, I, that, that's me being overly uh, possessive and uh, a little bit angry in uh, wanting to to, to have a game plan and, and, and to be able to utilize it uh, unencumbered. So, uh, but Vince and I are fine. I mean, you know, I, I think the world of him in that regard. I mean, how can you, how can you be a human being and get pissed off over a wrestling angle or a storyline that you pitched that didn't get accepted or a talent that you pitched that didn't quite make it uh, in, in, uh, in, in lieu of all the other great things that I experienced there. So I don't know. I just, since Jim got killed, I've just tried to eliminate guys, a lot of negativity, you know, it's like the guys ask, who's the worst talent you ever signed? What's the worst match you ever saw? Who's the worst <laughs> person you ever dealt with? It's, that's where we're at right here. What's the worst, worst, worst. And I don't even care to go there. You know, I, I say all the time, I don't have room in my carry on anymore for negativity. I'm, I'm 68 years old. I'm blessed in life. I'm alive. I'm healthy. Thank God. My family's healthy. They haven't been subjected to this virus. So I got too much to be thankful for, fellas, to bitch about a personality conflict or a philosophical difference. Yeah, certainly your move to All Elite Wrestling was kind of rejuvenating for your career as far as and for the company. You know, AEW just starting up to have you come on board, you know, one of the most experienced, successful former front office wrestling people, let alone your your. background as an announcer and in lending your hand in in that regard how would you compare in just in general the working environments of uh, wwe versus uh, what you've experienced in AEW so far how are they similar how are they different well they're similar in the fact that they both promote the same genre of pro wrestling at least we call it pro wrestling in AEW. 
uh, <laughs> still sports entertainment in Vince's world, which is fine. It's a different brand, different technique. Uh, but uh, WWE is so much bigger, and it's so much more corporate. Uh, a lot of layers. A lot of layers. Uh, and in AEW, we don't have any writers. Uh, we have a small crew to get access to the decision maker. Tony Khan is a matter of just walking up to him and start talking. Uh, so it's more casual. It's more, a little bit more laid back. It's more personable, I think. And, of course, Tony being in his mid-30s, being a lifelong fan, over 30 years, he's been a fan all his life. Mm-hmm. You know, when I first met him a few years ago in Long Beach, and we were doing uh, two weeks, two, two days, rather, of New Japan Wrestling on Access TV. That's where I met Tony first time. And uh, I knew that he was a little bit extraordinary, almost like, wow, this guy is frighteningly brilliant. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. he was remembering things I said on TV in Mid-South or UWF. I'm not sure he was even born then. But he's just that big a fan. Yeah. He's that big a fan, and I, and I love that. So he still has great passion for the product. He likes to engage all talents in conversation. He listens to everybody's ideas. He encourages individuality. And I don't know that that's always the case with all the layers in WWE. Now, good Lord, they're the big dog in the yard. They're making the most money. They're doing – that's great. And it's, if WWE do, does well, fellas, that usually triples down to other companies doing well. Uh, you know, too. So uh, it's just more casual. It's more, it's more relaxed. It's very non-political, in my view. Now, some talents in AEW may say differently. That's their opinion. But for me, what I've observed, and I've been in a lot of locker rooms, it's very, it's probably the most non-political environment in pro wrestling that I've ever worked in. Yeah, you know, I cover wrestling for CBS over at comicbook.com, and one of the big things I've noticed is just how open AEW is with the media. I had a chance to go to AEW Revolution in Chicago right before all this madness started with the coronavirus, and, uh, you know, took part in the press scrum afterwards, and like you mentioned, Tony is just a fascinating guy to talk to, and he was just willing and able to take as many questions as, as the media had for him that night, and that's just a big difference, I think, between WWE and AEW is is just how you guys are so open with the media, and I think the press scrum thing that you guys do after the pay per views is is a really cool touch, and I've I've appreciated that a lot. Well, you know, uh, other mainstream entities, whether it be mainstream sports, uh, 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 entertainment in general, they have uh, they have press conferences and junkets, things of that nature, to promote their product. And I think Tony's just just picking up for for that left off. In order, he's a, you know he and his dad own the Jacksonville Jaguars, as many know. They're used to this media thing, but Tony has respect for the wrestling media by and large. I mean, there's a lot of really smart guys and gals out there that are covering wrestling that actually have great product knowledge, and and that's a big change from years ago because years ago the old school guys didn't want to admit that. You know, the business was what it was. It was entertainment. And uh, that there, you know, it wasn't, uh, it's almost insulting how they wanted to treat the media, the dirt sheets and this and that and the other. You know, I, again, the dirt sheets give results that have already happened in opinion. I got no issue with anybody giving an opinion. And what I found as far as the wrestling media is concerned in today's generation of that is that they're more knowledgeable. They have more information flow, and we can all thank social media for that because and that's that's the deal. There's more there's more data floating around out there where people can 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 attach to, and uh, you know, and, and become a, a more of a student of the game. So Tony has respect for the the, the media, the wrestling media, including uh, obviously we're talking about here, and uh, I find that very refreshing, quite frankly. Well, Jim, we wouldn't want to ask you any questions about the worst, but it just so happens that we have one about the best. Um, One of the ongoing themes we have on our podcast is Mount Rushmore lists. You know, pick four favorites of any topic. Who would make your Mount Rushmore of greatest wrestling announcers? Oh, my goodness. Gordon Soley, Bob Cottle, Lance Russell, Gurla Monsoon would be uh, four off the top of my head that I would put on there. Uh, if you included color guys, color commentators, uh, that would certainly include uh, Bobby Heenan. 
who may be the best all-round performer I've ever worked with as far as being a, an outstanding wrestler, a great heel, a manager, a host, a color guy. He excelled in everything he did, and nobody in that era was better, or that area was better than Bobby, uh, in my view. Uh, so Bobby Heenan would be on that list. Paul Heyman would be one. Jerry Lawler would be one. Uh, I'm trying to think uh, who else I would. Uh, Lawler, Heyman, Cornette, great great color guy. So there's a, there's a lot of them, but those four guys on the on the when you ask the announcers, I just assume assume it was uh, like my role as a play by play guy. So mm-hmm. those four I mentioned, I think, would be there quite easily. It's a very subjective list, like everything else, but those are my favorites. Twenty? Could you have imagined working with Tony Schiavone again? Uh, what is it now? Thirty years later. I love it. I love it. I, I was a Tony Khan, and I had many conversations about who I was going to work with. And uh, you know, as the time went on, I saw Tony was available. He'd been Tony had been rejuvenated uh, with Conrad Thompson's. Uh, family of podcasts and he got back into wrestling mode. And so, uh, I, he wanted to change. He wanted to get his toe back in the water. So Tony and I, Tony Conan, or excuse me, Tony Chavine, I'd had ongoing conversations and, uh, the, his interest. So I really pushed hard for him to get hired because he could help us again. You got to wear more than one hat in this company, uh, to be successful, uh, in, 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 in our area. And Tony can edit, uh, he can produce, he can be a studio host, he can be an interviewer, uh, he, can, he can do play-by-play, he can do color. And he was also uh, based in Atlanta, where a lot of activity is, uh, ensues for AEW, because so many people live there in that area, including Cody. So uh, I, was, I pushed hard for it, and it wasn't a hard sell. And then I think uh, Tony Khan flew Shivani down to Jacksonville from Atlanta, they spent the day together or maybe had dinner or something like that. They had great conversation and, uh, and we got our man, so to speak. So I, uh, I, I love working with Tony. Tony's one of the most reliable, level-headed, intelligent guys I've ever worked with. I love working with him and Excalibur. Excalibur is a star of the future. No doubt about that. Uh, uh you know, I, I, I had reserve reservations about working with a mass color guy. I didn't understand <laughs> why he was mad, but nonetheless, it didn't matter. Didn't matter what I thought, because the guy does a hell of a good job, and he's only going to get better. He's only going to get better, quite frankly. But Shivani was a big get for us, and right now with me not me not flying, Excalibur not flying due to the the virus, uh, Tony has been loaded up with work. His wagon is full, uh, so I'm I'm uh, I'm really happy that we have Tony, and and I think he's happy he has us. Jim, we don't want to take up too much of your time. I got one more question for you. And this one, we re- we just added it to our agenda like a half hour ago because there was some breaking news this morning. And I, I just have to ask you about it. Uh, you probably already heard the revival have been released by WWE, something people have kind of been expecting, but it was made official today. Obviously, they're one of the best tag teams in the business. They've had kind of an ongoing feud over social media with the Young Bucks. Would be a huge asset for AEW. Can you say anything about if AEW will move to sign them and what kind of a prospective future do you see for them with AEW if they were to sign? Well, if, if a big, if everything's a big, if, because I have no idea what the uh, revival's goals are. I think they would fit into our team very, very well. Uh, you know, we're trying to be uh, a little bit more athletic, uh, athletically oriented, more fundamentally sound in our storytelling and uh, the revival team certainly uh, fits that bill. They are one of the best tag teams in the world, period, no matter where it is. So I think they would do great in our, in our, on, in our company. Uh, whether that happens or not remains to be seen. There'll be gross speculation. It's a done deal, all that good stuff. But Tony Khan handles that, and uh, I'm not in that talent relations role any longer, thank goodness. I'm the senior advisor. Let me tell you what that means. My job description is this. I take credit for all the good ideas and I disavow <laughs> any knowledge of the ones that suck. <laughs> so, I, so uh, but I, that's a Tony. I can't imagine knowing Tony as I do, Tony Khan as I do, and the fan that he is and, and his ability to spot great things uh, and uh, is uh, that he wouldn't be interested. 
why would anybody not be interested in the revival is my question. So yeah. uh, I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking that, you know, there's a possibility they come to work for us. I think, you know, I, I, I'd love that. I'd love to call their matches. I've watched a lot of their work. You know, they're not, they're a throwback team. They're fun. And that doesn't mean they wear black boots and, and, you know, they have to, you know, it's just, it's just the old school stuff. They, they are fundamentally sound. They're old school oriented in the process of telling a story. And I think that's really important. They don't leave things out. They don't take shortcuts and they have the ability with their skill set to work with any team uh, out there and make that team and that match better. And we've got some really good teams evolving in AEW, of course, led by the Young Bucks, who may be the best tag team in the world. Uh, they're, if they're not, they're certainly in the conversation. But one could certainly, as a broadcaster and as a fan, that's all I'm saying, because I don't have any inside information on this deal. I just read about it uh, a little before we, went on, we started recording, uh, that you know that uh, these guys are released. They're, they may become available sooner than later. I don't know what, how long their no-compete is. Uh, that'll be a big point. Everybody will have a theory on that deal. Uh, so, uh, usually they're 90 days, but I don't just, they may have, WWE may have, uh, uh, you know, re- rescinded that on with these guys. They may have made an exception to let them go do their thing. Uh, so anyway, I, I, I hope that they hope they consider AEW and I sure as hell like to call some of their matches. They remind me a lot of the old midnight express. They just don't have a Jim Cornette in their corner right now. So, uh, but boy, these guys are good. They're really good and they're young. They're athletic. They're durable. Uh, they seem to be good locker room guys. They're wrestling guys. They're not sports entertainment guys. That was never a great fit. But they're wrestling guys, and they need to be in a wrestling company. For my money, that's AEW. Yeah, absolutely. And your your tag division down there is really, I think, set you guys apart too. So, like you mentioned, Jim, so many great teams there, and uh, a lot of great prospective matches. Should it go down, we appreciate you coming on this podcast with us this morning so much jim it's been a it's been a pleasure talking to you like i said at the top a legend in the business the book is well worth the read guys check it out and uh it's available pretty much wherever books are found online check out jr's website for the uh, deal on the autograph copy and uh jim hopefully we will talk to you again in the future thank you so much i appreciate you guys very much and another thing i'll just mention real quickly i read the audio book and it was the hardest assignment I ever did as a, as a talent, shall we say, use that term loosely with me, uh, because I told somebody, I said, I should call my friend Toby Keith and write a country song about this. I had so many tears in my eyes reading the latter part of that book, uh, under the black hat that I couldn't read. And it took me about twice as many days to get through this read. And now it's coming back, uh, to be a really a successful thing. The audio book is going to sell like crazy. And the, the stories I tell, you, some of my voices, inflections are different. It's not a standard read the text. It is performing the text. And uh, so I, I think that's, don't overlook that. Because people can get those, boom. You know, like you said earlier about the ebook, mm-hmm. You can get it in a few seconds. It's on your devices. So I don't overlook the audio book if, if, uh, because I think it gives a different perspective than if you read it or, or your partner reads it or whatever or me reading it, it's better to be, you hear the actual thing and I, and add a little showmanship to it when it's called for, uh, you know, but I, I, I really have had a lot of fun doing that. And I'm so grateful that people are buying the book. It's a great testament to Mike, to Jan. And I'm happy that we're, we did it. I'm glad we got to tell her story as well. That was important to me to write a true book. And I talk about my own issues. You know, I was not, I was not, never perfect. I'm still not perfect, but I, uh, but I really have been blessed to be a wrestling fans, a wrestling fan since I first earned my first check in wrestling, which is 1974. So it's been a great love affair with the business fellas. Uh, sometimes I didn't think the business loved me as much as I wanted, but I can also look myself in the mirror and say, well, JR, your, your, your ego may be a little bit inflated. Chill out. So uh, let it go. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm just, I'm really blessed living the best. I'm living my best life. I hope you guys are too and staying safe. But we've got to get over this virus. To me, that's the biggest. This is the biggest thing. The biggest challenge in my 68 years of living is what we're enduring right now. And I'm not so sure everybody's taking it personally as they should. Personally, seriously, mm-hmm. because now we're seeing everybody. Die. 
all these deaths, man, if that doesn't wake, open your eyes, I don't know what will. So in any event, I appreciate you guys having me on and I'm glad you enjoyed it under the black hat. Absolutely. Thanks, Jim. Like you said, Jim, the fans always had your back throughout the career, and I, I think the fans will enjoy this reading. We appreciate it so much. You bet, buddy. My pleasure. Thanks. So there it was, guys. Interview, our sit-down with good old JR, Jim Ross. Kyle, what would you think of that interview? Fantastic interview, if I do say so myself. It was. It was I think you were exemplary in your questions. Oh, thank you. I you appreciate that. You a real <laughs> Learning as I go, man. The David Muir of professional wrestling. <laughs> How long do you think David Muir spends on a haircut? Longer than I'm going to if I have to do it myself here pretty soon based on the quarantine. I've been thinking about it. I've been looking in the mirror like, should I try? I don't know. How much money do you think it costs him to get a haircut? I don't know. I was look, up, look up the old uh, John Edwards quotes. <laughs> oh, yeah. I always want to do that, that Seinfeld, side, that old Seinfeld bit with David Muir if I ever met him. Tell me you pay $150 for a haircut. <laughs> I will walk out of here right now if you pay $150 for a haircut. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, thanks to Jim for that interview. But now it is time for our deep dive of the week, is it not? It is. Uh, it is that time of the week, ladies and gentlemen, for the Kyle Ross I Love This Sport deep dive of the week. Take it away. Okay, so... One great interview in the books. Another one on the horizon. Oh yes, Bosti. If I uh, am, uh, you know, if I'm following along here on our uh, the Top Rope Nation. Next week, we've got PCO in the house, uh, and you know, just to peel back the curtain, that interview was already done. He gave us 88 minutes of great audio. I think you mentioned that earlier in the show, mm-hmm. uh, and a little homework for the listeners here. Uh, before they get a chance to hear the interview, uh, PCO's involved in this week's deep dive. How apropos, uh, the match that everyone should check out is WWE Tag Team Title Match from the one-year anniversary of Monday Night Raw. It took place January 10th, 1994. The Quebecers against the 123 Kid and Marty Jannetty. PCO actually briefly touched on this match uh, in the interview we did with them. Uh, match took place 12 days before the 94 Royal Rumble when the Quebecers were set to defend, of course, against Brett and Owen Hart. I know you know that match quite well, Ryan. And uh, I've got a bit of a spoiler alert here. I'll give people a chance to turn away if they don't want to be spoiled about the result of this match. If they somehow don't know what happens. Hopefully you're away now. But when Kid and Janae win, they were not inserted into the Quebecers spot against the Hearts at the Royal Rumble. I thought that was a great bit of storytelling because the WWE really played up for a weekend mm-hmm. on their team. <laughs> Not for very long, yeah. Yeah, how disappointed Owen was that he was no longer getting a shot to win the first title um, in WWE. It was going to be Quebecers versus Hearts in a non-title match since the Quebecers had lost the title. But another spoiler alert, the Quebecers do win the titles back at MSG one week later from Kid and Jannetty. That match can be found in full uh, at PCO's own YouTube page. Turn that up. Uh, username Pierre Carl Let. So you can check that out there. Um, but yeah, the deep dive of the week is the Quebecers against the 123 Kid and Marty Jannetty. Monday Night Raw, January 10th, 1994, can be found on the award winning WWE Network. Awesome pick. That is a perfect setup for this interview next week. As Kyle mentioned, it's already recorded, it was a ton of fun. Really good interview. You guys can check it out early if you're a member of our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Nation. One of the best ways to support the show. I actually posted the interview already for listeners over there at Patreon, but otherwise it will hit our podcast feeds next week, episode 138. Had a great 30-minute interview with JR. Like you mentioned, PCL, that thing went 88 minutes. We touched on so many topics from his entire career, You know, going back to the early to mid-90s, all the way up to present day. And in his Ring of Honor World Champion World Championship victory just a couple of months ago. So, and while we obviously want to celebrate PCO since he came on and gave us uh, such a great interview, I got to mention with this deep dive, Kid and Janetti were really, I think, the two unheralded all stars of that first year of Raw. Mm-hmm. If you go back and look at you know what the best matches were, they were usually involved in them. Remember the night? I think the episode that put Raw on the map. I can't remember the exact date. It was in May. But it was the episode where Kid beat Razor Ramon and Janetti made the surprise appearance and beat Shawn Michaels for the Intercontinental title. Yep. 
I just think that those two, you know, it's kind of been lost to time. They they were just tremendous that first year of Raw. A lot of, a lot of good matches they had. So um, yeah, be sure to check that out, folks. Awesome. Rutgers against the Kinetti Raw, January tenth, ninety four. Well, guys, we're doing our best to keep you entertained while we're all quarantined at home. So hopefully you enjoyed that JR interview. You tune in next week for the PCO interview. If you're not already subscribed, what are you waiting for? Hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, wherever podcasts are found. You can follow us on Twitter. My personal handle is at Ryan Droste. That's D-R-O-S-T-E. You can find Kyle at T-R-P Kyle Justin who had to jump off the line but was with us earlier. He is at Justin Joint, J-O-Y-N-T. And, of course, the show is at Top Rope Nation. We're also on Instagram, Facebook, all the social media, usual spots. So with that, we will catch you guys next week. Let us know what you thought of the episode, topropenation at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. Peace. For the ones who know that a little late is always too late, and that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, and our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com/keepstock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done.